At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. We've not met before. My name is Kirk McDonald. Uh, I have the great privilege of being one of the pastors here at Gospel Community Church. Uh, and this morning, it is my honor uh, to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and an errant word. May He add His blessing to it. Well, uh, it's no surprise to anybody who's been around for longer than five minutes uh, at Gospel Community Church. We love the gospel. Amen. We we love the gospel. We value the truth of the gospel. If you come here Sunday by Sunday uh, during the preaching, during the sermon, uh, you will hear the gospel. If you go back to gospel kids, uh, we are teaching our children the gospel. If you show up to a community group on a Wednesday night, on a Thursday night, on a Friday night, on a Saturday afternoon, if you go to a community group, you're going to hear the gospel because we love, absolutely love the gospel. As Tim Keller has famously said, the, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity, but the gospel gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. It is not as if we uh, come to know the gospel, we're a new Christian, and then we move into deeper Bible truths. Oh no, when we hear the gospel, the gospel is the deepest Bible truth, and true growth in Christianity is simply growing in the gospel. Amen? So we, we absolutely love the gospel. Now, it is because we love the gospel so deeply that we insist on getting the content of the gospel correct. Amen? So because we love the gospel, we must get the content of the gospel correct. So the gospel is not God loves you and has a plan for your life. While that is good news, it is not the gospel. Amen? So, so that, is, that is not the gospel. The gospel is not if you believe and have enough faith, God will bless you. That's not the gospel either. Because who in it of ourselves can muster up enough faith to be blessed by God? So we need God to give us the gift of faith so that we can believe and, and be blessed. So that isn't the gospel either. Here's the gospel. Y'all with me this morning, church family? Okay, here, here it is. Here's the gospel. God saves sinners through Jesus' work. We have rehearsed this with you time and time again, and, and you can get my guarantee on it. I'm going to say this a thousand more times as long as I'm your pastor. Here is the gospel. The gospel is God saves sinners through Jesus' work. God, God is the one. Let's just walk through each one of those. God, God is the one who does this work in us. He, he does this work through us. Uh, it is God saving us, justifying us, taking us from death to life. It is the salvation of God. God saves sinners. That's where the gospel begins church family. It begins with you acknowledging and seeing that you are a sinner. So God saves sinners through, there is a process by which we are saved, and the process by which we are saved was accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross. So it's through Jesus' work. What work is it that Jesus does? Well, he lives a perfectly sinless life, which we could not do, and then he dies the death that we should have died in our place for our sins. The gospel is God saves sinners through Jesus' work. Amen? Amen. Now, the reason that I say all that, the reason that I rehearse that with you yet again and intend to do so many, many times, the, the reason that I'm saying that this morning is for this very reason, if you're taking notes, as serious 
as we are about gospel doctrine, we must be equally as serious about gospel culture. Help me today, somebody. As serious as we are about gospel doctrine, getting the content of the gospel correct, getting it down to substitutionary atonement, that is the heart of the gospel. As serious as we are about gospel doctrine, we need to be equally as serious about gospel culture. That is allowing the gospel to govern how we treat each other. Amen? That, that is gospel culture. It's looking through the lens of the gospel at our brothers and sisters in Christ and treating them as such. Gospel culture is when we treat each other like we really are co-heirs in Christ. That, that's what gospel culture is when we treat each other as equally sinful and equally redeemed. That's gospel culture. When we start to act that way and treat each other that way. As a matter of fact, here's a definition for you of what is gospel culture. Here it is. Gospel culture is when what happens when people live out the realities of the gospel in the context of community. That's what gospel culture is in the church. When, when we start to live out the truths of the gospel with one another in the context of community, what will happen in that church is not only will it have gospel doctrine, but it will also have gospel culture. And as serious as we are about gospel doctrine, should we be serious about gospel doctrine? Yes, there is one gospel. Amen. And as serious as we are about that gospel doctrine, we must be equally as serious about experiencing gospel culture within our church. So in the church, among the people of God, we need to treat one another in the light of the gospel. That's gospel doctrine producing, right? Gospel doctrine producing a then gospel culture. To, to say it another way, gospel culture is the opposite of toxic church culture. <laughs> help, help me today. So true gospel culture experienced within the church is the opposite of a toxic church culture. And we, we've seen that. We've experienced that. Here, here's another way to think about uh, gospel culture. Who, who has ever said this or felt this way about a church? You said, man, that, that church feels like home. Anybody ever felt that before? That, that church feels like home. Or that church was really welcoming. Um, or, or, or man, it, that church feels like family. You know what that person is communicating when they say that? Or you know what you're communicating when you say that? What you're saying is, is that you're experiencing true gospel culture. The, the gospel, uh, the doctrine of the gospel being lived out in the lives of the members of the church. And then within that church, you begin to experience what we are calling gospel culture. Now, here's what I want to do really quickly. I want to show you from the scriptures, I want to show you gospel doctrine producing gospel culture. Can we do that? So before we even get to our text today, uh, because really, uh, let me just go ahead and just, what's happening in our text today is toxic culture. And so what I want to do is I want to show you gospel doctrine that produces gospel culture so that we can look at toxic culture and not do that. Amen. So, so let's just, what I want to do, I want to just show you several scriptures as quickly as I can, which probably isn't going to be quick at all, but as quickly as I can, I want to show you gospel doctrine then producing in the church gospel culture. Can we do that? Let's do that as we begin this morning. Look at Romans 5, 2. It says this, through him, now we can stop right there. That's gospel doctrine. 
if the gospel is God saves sinners through Jesus' work, this right here, Romans 5, 2 begins with through him. It's through Jesus that we're saved. That's gospel doctrine. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace. Is that gospel doctrine? That right there, church family, is gospel doctrine. That, that's showing us or teaching us what the gospel is there in Romans 5, 2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace. Now, now see if you can see gospel culture in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Where I'm emphasizing the, the we there. So what happens is that through him, we have also obtained access by faith. That's gospel doctrine in which we collectively together as a community, as a culture, as a church, we stand in that. We stand in that grace. We stand in that faith. It, it says we stand, rejoice, and we rejoice in the hope of glory. So right there, there's gospel doctrine and gospel culture. Let me show you another one. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in the ordinance that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The broken flesh of Jesus produces or builds in us gospel doctrine leading to gospel culture so that when his flesh is broken down, that's paying the price so that we might be redeemed, gospel doctrine, and then the dividing wall of hostility is broken down between brothers and sisters in Christ, creating what? What? Gospel culture, gospel culture, or or how about Second Two Corinthians, Second Corinthians five, fifteen through sixteen says this. If look, this one's so clear. I think you guys can get this one. Here we go. And he died for all. What's that? Gospel doctrine, yes. And he died for all that those might live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 16, here it goes. Gospel culture. From now on, therefore, we regard no one, what? According to the flesh. Meaning there is now this culture within the church that is bathed in the gospel to where we're not regarding one another uh, as, oh, well, this person is rich or this person is talented and we give those people more favor than we do anyone else. No, no, we don't regard people according to the flesh. Why? Because of the gospel. That is, again, gospel doctrine producing gospel culture. How about 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says this, so being affectionately desirous of you, Think about that kind of language coming from a, a pastor to his church. This is what he is saying. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, gospel doctrine, but also our own selves. They were sharing not only the gospel, but they were sharing themselves. Again, that's gospel doctrine, then leading to gospel culture. That this is what we want to be, and this is what we want to do as we preach and proclaim the gospel at Gospel Community Church. We want that then to translate into our church culture so that we are not one of the many that have a toxic church culture. 
I wonder if you've ever experienced that before. I wonder if you've ever been in a church that had not a gospel culture, but a toxic culture. A church where it was filled with petty arguments. A church that where people were easily offended, quick to gossip, slow to forgive. I mean, have you ever been in a church where people demanded their own way, demanded that they get respect? Well, church family, that's, that's toxic culture. And if we're honest, how many of us have actually been a part of that toxic culture? You see, church family, if you're taking notes, a church can unsay with its relationships what it said in its doctrinal statements. A church can unsay with its relationships. So if you're preaching and proclaiming the gospel that, that we all have been redeemed by Jesus Christ through his shed blood and, and we are all equally sinful and equally redeemed, if that's what you're proclaiming, yet the relationships, the interpersonal relationships within the church do not reflect that great gospel, you are unsaying the gospel. So I say again, a church can unsay with its relationships what it has said in its doctrinal statements. That's a quote from Ray Ortland, who speaks into this very topic. What I want us to see is that gospel culture is not an option. Having gospel culture among us in, in our church. So it's not as if there are churches out there that, I mean, they're, they're really heavy into doctrine and they preach deep theology. And, and, and that's, that's kind of what that church does over there. But then there's, there's, this, there's other kind of churches and they just really focus on loving one another and, and being kind to one another. And, and so, you know, like, so the, the, that whole like gospel doctrine thing, that's for the Baptists and the Presbyterians, but we over here, we're just going to focus on loving one another. No, no, no. Gospel culture is not optional because if a church that preaches the gospel, are y'all with me? If a church preaches the gospel, yet it does not have a gospel culture, it actually shows that that church does not believe gospel doctrine. Okay, so this is exactly what James has been talking about time and time again all throughout uh, this this book of James. So he has been saying there is true belief and there's false belief. He's been saying there's true religion and false religion. He's been saying there's true Christianity and false Christianity. He's been going back and forth and back and forth. And so James is writing to these churches in this dispersion because they have dropped the ball on gospel culture. Just look at, look at, just Real quickly, verse one, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not passions within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. That's toxic church culture. These churches have dropped the ball on true gospel, true gospel culture. So James is writing to them to point out toxic church culture. And then also in this passage, he rebukes them. Look at verse four, you adulterous people. He rebukes them for not having a true gospel culture within their church. So let me just go ahead and give you the main idea. The main point today is this. The church must live out gospel doctrine to create a gospel culture because when a church does not have gospel culture, it shows it does not actually believe gospel doctrine. Y'all with me this morning? Okay. Okay. That's, that's the whole sermon 
what I want to do now is I want to link chapter 3 to chapter 4. Let's orient ourselves in the text, and then we'll go through it line by line. Amen? Amen. So if you'll look, just look at chapter 3, verse 17. Let your eyes glance up. It says this, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. If we are verse 17, if we're acting like what verse 17 is teaching us, pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, if we begin to act like that, especially with one another, what will we be experiencing together? Well, a gospel culture. We'll be experiencing a gospel culture together if we are verse 17. But the churches that James was writing to is not verse 17 at all. They are not living under wisdom from above. You remember the two wisdoms from last week? They're not living under wisdom from above. Rather, this church is living with earthbound wisdom, producing selfish ambition, bitter jealousy. You remember that from last week? And then producing disorder in every vile practice. And so what he's going to do is he's going to point out this toxic church culture, and then he is going to take them to task and rebuke them for their toxic church culture. Here it is. Look at verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Verse 1. He wants to get down to the root of the conflict that's happening in this church, and he begins by asking a question, and I love it that he immediately gives the answer. I think it's really, really important that James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Because if he would have just kind of paused for a minute there, if, if, if he would have not immediately given the answer, how do you think that these churches that were quarreling and fighting with one another, how do you think they would have answered? What, what causes quarrels and fights among you? They would have answered, they do. That they do, they cause fights and quarrels. But he, but he does not. He doesn't give them the opportunity to answer that way. Rather, he immediately answers. You see, when there is conflict in the church, church family, when there is conflict in the church, gospel culture asks, "What part did I play, and how do I need to repent?" That's what happens when, when we begin to experience gospel culture. You see, the gospel says you are guilty and Jesus took your guilt on himself. So there's no need to shy away from admitting that you failed in some way so you can repent. So when there is conflict between you and somebody else in the church, and, and let me just tell you, <laughs> if you've been in the church for longer than five minutes, you know that there is going to be conflict between you and another brother, sister in Christ. It is the nature of being sinful. It is the nature of the fact that Jesus has not returned and completely and fully gotten rid of all sin in the world. So we're going to experience conflict with one another. And so when that happens, the first thing that we need to ask, listen, ourselves is what part did I play in this conflict? What part did I play in making this situation awkward? What part did I play and how do I need to repent? James answers very quickly, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? The ESV, if you're reading the ESV, gives us a helpful footnote here. This word passions is not to be taken with uh, the, the idea that, oh man, this guy's super passionate about the music ministry. 
or this guy's really passionate about gospel kids, or he's really passionate about reaching the lost. No, no, it's not that kind of passion. If you'll look down at the footnote, the footnote actually says that this word can also mean pleasures, pleasure. So it's not that, is it not that your pleasures or your self-centered desires is really what he's getting at? Is it not that your self-centered desires are at war within you? Here's the idea in this text, if you're taking notes, passions are desires that terminate on oneself allowed to run wild. So when, when he says passions here, again, he's not talking about being passionate about ministry or What he means is passions are desires, that internal drive within you that terminates on you and you allow that to run wild. That's exactly what he's talking about. In addition, if you know a little bit about the Greek here, it's where this word passions is where we get our word uh, hedonism. So again, it's a desire to be acknowledged, a desire to receive honor, a desire to be respected, a desire to have a voice in every issue in the church. If you're taking notes, the primary reason for conflicts in the church is the question we too often ask, what about me? When an issue happens, when something's going on, when... We let out after church and people are standing in the lobby and there's this couple and this couple and they say, hey, where, where are you guys going? You wanna go to lunch? Cool, let's, let's go to lunch together. And those two couples leave out the church door and you watch them go away and you say in your heart, what about me? They didn't invite me to lunch. That's the beginning of conflict, verse two. You desire and do not have so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Uh, I went down a rabbit trail this week looking at uh, different commentators uh, commenting on uh, this section here. One commentator actually makes the argument that there were zealots uh, in the church, uh, a particular religious sect, and, and they were actually murdering each other. Um, I don't think that's what James is talking about at all w- when he uses this word murder. Look back at it. It says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. When James is saying it, he's saying that there is such intense relational strife, you guys are killing each other, right? you you ever said that to somebody? Dude, you're, you're killing me. That, that's, you're killing me, Smalls. That's, that's what he's referring to. Listen to the same way that Jesus communicated this in Matthew 5, 21 through 21a. You have heard it said that those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother will also be liable to judgment. The, the point is this. Don't think that disunity in the church is not a big deal. Don't think that your relational strife with another member in this church is small potatoes. Don't think that the little argument, the little awkward situation that you have between you and somebody else in this church doesn't need, it can be swept under the rug and don't worry about it. Just look at, look at the type of language that James is using here. The words that he's using, he just used the word war. He used the word murder. He used the word fight. 
He's using all of this to describe conflicts between brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. That this is not small potatoes. This is not, it doesn't matter at all. What I want you to see is this, if you're taking notes, conflict creates disunity and disunity is not conductive to gospel culture. That they were infighting, arguing, creating disunity between themselves. There was awkward situations. There were things that were uh, not addressed, things that were not dealt with. And because of that, what he says is, you guys are killing each other. You, you, you guys are at war with each other in the church where there should be gospel culture. What you're actually experiencing is toxic church culture. And that shows that you actually don't believe what? Gospel doctrine is what, is what he is getting at. Here's, here's another thing that I see in verse two. It says this, you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covenant and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. This, this fighting that was going on between them was not being dealt with. Church family, we just read from Matthew 5, 21, where it's talking about being angry at another brother in Christ, having relational strife with another brother in Christ. You want to know what that text goes on to say in Matthew 5? It says this, when you come to the altar to bring your offering and you realize that you have relational strife with another brother or sister in Christ, it tells you to leave your offering there. Forget your offering. Go make it right with that other brother or sister in Christ and then come back. And so let me challenge you this morning. Let, let, me, let me just lay down the gauntlet. Don't take communion this morning if you have relational strife with another brother and sister in Christ that you need to make right. Okay, I'll move on. Another thing that we see in this text is this from verse two, uncommunicated and therefore unmet expectations leads to conflict. Did you see that in the text? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have, why? Because you did not ask. So uncommunicated and therefore unmet expectations leads to conflict. Now I have a big long footnote about how this applies to marriage, but that's a whole different sermon. I'm talking about how this applies specifically in the church. Anytime there's a conflict, you can always ask the question, which one of us has the unmet expectation? And usually it's both parties. That there's some type of unmet expectation to where one person thought the thing was going to go this way or expected you to say this or expected you to do this particular thing and then that didn't happen and because that thing that they expected didn't happen, now there's conflict. It's an uncommunicated and therefore unmet expectation. Now, as a disclaimer to that, sometimes the expectations are unrealistic and will never be met. Sometimes what that person is expecting of you, only Jesus can be to them or give to them. So sometimes the expectations are unrealistic and will never be met. And sometimes people are simply unable to be satisfied, so you can't satisfy them. So, so there's that part. But there are many, many conflicts within the church that would never happen if expectations were clearly communicated. Amen? Amen. Amen. So just as a, a quick example, 
Mom A asks her community group leader to host a birthday party for their child. The community group leader agrees. The community group has a birthday party for Mom A's child. Well, Mom B assumes now this is standard practice and when her child's birthday comes and goes and the community group does not celebrate her child's birthday, now there's conflict. Why? Because she did not communicate. Or how about this? This is something that we have dealt with a lot in this church, particularly with men. A guy says to another church member, hey man, I haven't seen you at church or community group in the last three weeks. Where you been at? What's up? What's going on? And the man responds with, well, nobody was reaching out to me and nobody has been checking in on me to see if I was okay. Now, that man has not been reaching out to anyone else either, but his uncommunicated expectation is that someone come and drag him out of his self-imposed isolation. And so what we need to do, church family, if we're going to really experience gospel culture is communicate expectations and be ready and willing to forgive when those expectations are not met. Here's my experience. It's very common for people to have expectations, specifically for pastors and ministry leaders. Help me today. My experience is very common for people to have expectations for pastors and ministry leaders that they are very much unaware of. And so let us be gracious with one another. Let's let our gospel doctrine shine the way to build a gospel culture. Let's look at verse three together. It says this, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it own your own passions. What, what is it, if we're getting down into the context of this particular verse, what is it that these people want? Well, look back at uh, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, not many of you should want to be teachers, my brothers. Or look at verse, th verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? So what's happening in that particular church is that there's people that want to be placed in positions of leadership. There are people in that church that want to be seen as wise, that want to be seen as smart, that want the acknowledgement, that want the pat on the back. There are people in the church that are experiencing that, that want that, and that is what's leading to causing these conflicts and these quarrels. They want adoration. They want to be promoted as leaders. This is what they're desiring. They want people to see them as wise. They desire to be seen as wise by the other people in the church. Now, let me tell you this, church family, the desire to be seen as, as wise is sinful if you want people to believe that the source of your wisdom is you. There's a way to desire to be seen as wise that is righteous, meaning I want you guys to think I'm wise, but you must see that the source of anything that I say is wise comes from the Lord, amen? Not from me, not from me. And so what happens there is that we're getting down into the motives of the heart. Do you see those two? Let, let me just show them to you again. There's a way to desire to be seen as wise that is sinful, meaning the source of your wisdom is you. But there's also a way to desire to be seen as wise, which is godly, meaning you see someone, a teacher or a leader in the church as wise, but they're insistent on anything wise that they say comes from the Lord. And what that has to do with is the motives 
of the heart. And so what was happening is these guys were asking for things with wrong motives. We know that Jesus teaches in Matthew 7, 7, that anything that you ask, it will be given to you. You guys ever read that verse? You ever thought about that verse? Jesus says, pray, ask me. Anything that you ask, anything that you, you, you pray to me, it will be given to you. You're like, I don't know if I should have that kind of power, Lord. I don't, um, maybe, maybe not, like maybe somebody else more holy, but, but maybe, maybe it's not a good idea to, to let me know that. But here's the idea. Jesus implies that we are going to ask him for things with pure motives. That, that's the intent behind that, that verse in Matthew 7, 7. What we're asking for is gonna build up the kingdom. What we're asking for is for the glory of God, not for building our own kingdom or for our own name. Now, what happens next in the text is we need to put on our hard hats and steel toe shoes. Okay, so if you've brought your spiritual hard hats, you need to put them on. Look at verse four. He's called them out and now he's going to clearly rebuke them. He says, you adulterous people. What is so interesting about that is because repeatedly throughout the book of James, what has he been calling them? He's been calling them brothers. I mean, as a matter of fact, in James chapter one, verse two, in James two, one and verse 14, in James chapter three, verse one, in James chapter three, verse 10, and also in verse 12, he calls them brothers. In addition, he calls them my dear brothers in James 1, 16, in 19, in James two, five, he calls them dear brothers, but here he's giving them something very, very different. He's calling them something very, very different. He is saying, you adulterous people. What James is doing is he's reaching back into the Old Testament to where it's repeatedly shown this picture of the church or Israel being the bride and the Lord being the husband. And anytime Israel would go after other gods, they were in idolatry, but they equated idolatry with adultery because the Lord is the husband and the church is the bride. Just listen to Jeremiah 3.20. It says it this way. Surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so have you been treacherous to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. He begins his rebuke of this toxic church culture by calling them adulterers. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world? Now, this type of friendship that James is referring to, it's not Facebook friends, okay? It's not, it's not that person that you used to know in high school and you never talked to again and they're like, oh yeah, that guy's my friend. No, no. This is referring to a deep dependent relationship when he says to be friends with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be friends with the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see, this church was proving that they were friends with the world and therefore an enemy of God because they had not cultivated a gospel culture. 
As a matter of fact, if you'll just walk with me quickly, what we see is this, what's happening in these churches, they were discriminating between rich people and poor people in chapter two, verse 13. In addition, they were speaking negatively about each other in chapter three, verses one through 13. They were exhibiting bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in chapter three, 13 through 18. And what was happening is they were saying they believed the gospel, yet they did not have a gospel culture. You see, self-centered conflicts in the church are the same as not being faithful to the Lord. Why? Because having a gospel doctrine without gospel culture shows you don't actually believe the gospel. Verse five, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Now, this verse is a little confusing, and usually when there is an Old Testament quotation, if you're, again, reading from the ESV, when there's an Old Testament quotation from that particular text, there'll be a little letter next to it, and you can follow that little letter down into the footnote, and the footnote will tell you where it's getting that from the Old Testament. But this quotation here, he yearns jealously over the spirit that has made to dwell within us is not actually a direct quote from the Old Testament. So what's happening here? Like what's, what's going on in verse five? Well, here is what is going on in verse five. He has given you a concise summary of what all the scripture has to say. In the same way I could say, the Bible says God is really, really, really big and we are really, 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 really small, right? Would I be right in that quote? Doesn't the Bible say that? Now you couldn't point to a verse that has that many reallys in it, um, but, but that is what the Bible says. In the same way, that's what James is doing here. He's summarizing what all of the Old Testament has to say about this idea of God being a, a loving husband and we being a faithful bride. That's why it says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us. What James has put before us is this, a church that has dropped the ball on gospel culture. That, that's what we're seeing in verses one through five. And so what I wanna do is now give us some examples of what gospel culture looks like in action. So, so if we go and we look at, at James chapter four, verses one through five, and we go, that's not gospel culture. That somewhere along the way, they were preaching gospel doctrine, but it did not translate into gospel culture. So what does it look like for gospel community church to operate with a vibrant, healthy, beautiful gospel culture? Don't you wanna be at a church that experiences a deep and rich gospel culture? So what does that look like? First, where there is thriving gospel culture, there will be transparency. There will be transparency between one another. Meaning this, we, ex we examine the gospel and we see that the gospel says, I'm a broken sinner. The gospel begins with, you don't have it all together. The gospel begins with, you don't have your life perfectly in order. That's where the gospel begins. And so there's no reason to come to church and act like you actually do have it all together. Amen? 
And so there is a really real transparency which happens between brothers and sisters in Christ when we have experienced the gospel and realize that I don't need to put on a show. I don't need to put on a mask. I don't need to pretend to be somebody I'm not. I can exist with true transparency with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, as a side note, what that doesn't mean, church family, is that you have to tell everybody everything that's going on. It doesn't mean that, but there are people in the church that really know you. Church family, are there people in this church that really know you? Because where the gospel doctrine is proclaimed, there will be gospel transparency, there will be gospel culture. Secondly, this, where there is a thriving gospel culture, there will be vulnerability. Now, you could say, well, isn't transparency and vulnerability the same thing? Sure, they could in certain circumstances be used as synonyms, but let me, I want to make a distinction here because it's one thing to be transparent with somebody. Hey, here's what's going on in my life. It's a whole other thing to then let them in to help you. That's something totally different. That is true vulnerability. So, so you can get to a place to where you say, okay, I realize that the gospel says I'm broken, I'm weak, and I don't have it all together. And you can turn to another brother and sister in Christ and say, hey, I'm broken, I'm weak, I don't have it all together. My marriage is messed up. You know, this is going on in my life. I, you know, and, and that person says, all right, man, well, let me, can, can I just... Can I just call you every Wednesday morning, first thing in the morning, and just pray for you about this? That, that's all I want to do, man. I just want to make that commitment to you every Wednesday morning, man. I'm just going to call you and pray for you. And they say, oh, no, no, no. I mean, it, it's not that bad. I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need that. Or, man, I, man I, I'm really struggling to, to get this going at, at my house. My, it's, you know, this, this thing has been broken at my house for forever. My wife is like, she's really like getting on me to fix it. And I haven't fixed it yet. It's causing problems in our marriage. And the guy says, well, cool, man, I'll, Saturday morning, I'll be there. I'll, I'll show up, I'll help you. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I, don't, I, I, mean, I can do it. You know, I mean, I do it myself. You know, I'm just, I'm just letting you know what's going on, right? It, it's... It's one thing to be transparent. It's another thing to be vulnerable and actually let somebody in to help you. But again, the gospel shows you that you need help. Third, gospel culture. Oh, I wanted to give you this quote before I read my third one. Sorry, here it is. Gospel culture kills Instagrammable Christianity. Again, another, another great quote from Ray Ortland. So if you are being... If you are being transparent and vulnerable, what happens is gospel culture kills Instagrammable Christianity. Third, let's look at this one. Where there's thriving gospel culture, there will be long suffering. What do I mean? I mean this, people are annoying. I know because I'm one of them. And so people are annoying. Listen, people are annoying by God's design. Did you know that? People are annoying by God's design because God wants to use annoying people to sanctify you. And so what happens in a gospel culture is not that we shove away or, or ignore people who get on our nerves. Rather, we embrace those people with long suffering, knowing that because of the gospel, God has embraced us. God has shown us long suffering. And so we don't lean out and away from the table when, when it comes to having people that get on our nerves. Rather, we lean in and we love those brothers and sisters in Christ because that is where gospel culture really begins to meet 
the road. Number four, where there is thriving gospel culture, there will be forgiveness. Let me just tell you, somebody in your community group is going to say something that offends you. <laughs> Charles Bird, the leader of our community groups, ladies and gentlemen. There's going to be a ministry leader at this church that you're under, that you're serving under, and they're going to say something that's offensive to you. Your pastors, the pastors of this church, are going to say something that offends you. Uh, we, we are going to fail to meet your expectations. Can I just say that? As your pastor, at some point, if, if you are here, a member of this church, for longer than five minutes, I promise you, I'm going to fail to meet your expectation in some way. And so what we need to do as a thriving church that has a true gospel culture is learn to forgive one another. Learn to forgive. Fifth, where there is a thriving gospel culture, there will be unity. Now, let me, let me be clear. I do not mean uniformity. I, I do not mean that we all need to vote the same, that we all need to think the same on social and cultural issues, on medical issues. We, we, we don't need to be uniform. Rather, there is something greater in the gospel that we can be united under. That is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is that we are co-heirs in Christ. That is that we inherit the kingdom. That is together we are linking arms, waiting for that great day when Jesus would return. And until that great day, we'll be building the kingdom together. Amen? And so in the church, where there is true gospel culture, there will be unity, not necessarily uniformity. Number six, where there is a thriving gospel culture, there will be prayer for one another. Do you pray for other brothers and sisters in Christ in this church? Do you know them well enough to know what to pray for? Where there is gospel doctrine, that's again, producing gospel culture, not only will we know one another well enough to know what to pray for, listen, we will have a deep desire to pray for one another because we love one another. Number seven, the last one, I'm out of your hair. Where there's a thriving gospel culture, there will be deep friendships. There'll be deep friendships. Again, that's not to say uh, that you're best friends with everybody or that you have a deep relationship with every member in the church. That's impossible. Even a church our size is impossible for all of us to have deep relationships with everybody. It's just, that, that's not how that works. But again, you will be known by somebody you will have a deep relationship with somebody where there is true gospel culture happening because mission creates unity and where there is unity, there will be deep friendships. So as you're showing up here to volunteer and you're packing baskets full of food to give away for the food drive and you start a conversation with somebody as you're hanging out packing boxes with food and you start this conversation and all of a sudden you're, you're not just talking about uh, you know, what, what's going on here at this surface level, but rather you're in a real deep conversation as you're serving the Lord. Now you and that brother or sister in Christ become even closer building and creating deep friendships. As you go to 
pass out those baskets around the neighborhood and, and you guys meet this other, uh, some, somebody else that, that maybe they're not a member of the church and they need prayer and you and this other brother and sister in Christ just link arms and lay hands on this person in desperate need of prayer and together you pray for them. What's happening is you're on mission with that other person and mission creates unity and that unity builds deep friendships. And so where there is gospel doctrine, there will be produced gospel culture. I'll close with Ephesians 3.10. It's an incredible verse. It's an incredible verse for a generation like ours who slowly but surely is finding less and less use for the church, believing that we can find our own way, we can have our own religion, Listen to what this says. Ephesians 3.10 says, so that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So our gospel doctrine that produces gospel culture is supposed to show the world what God is like. Don't you see that from that verse? It's saying that when we preach gospel doctrine, it's supposed to produce a gospel culture among us, us loving one another, serving one another, having deep friendships with one another, forgiving one another. And what that does is it shows a lost and dying world what God is like. That's what our gospel culture is supposed to do. And so church family, I refuse to live my life maintaining a religious institution with neat and tidy doctrines that are not lived out. The South in particular does not need any more churches with detailed doctrinal statements that have no effect in the lives of the members of the church. The South doesn't need any more of that. What the South needs is churches that proclaim gospel doctrine and have deep gospel cultures which show the world what God is like. And if that's what we're doing, I'll give my life to that. Amen? I'll give my life to a church that's going to love one another, that's going to serve one another, that's going to live out gospel doctrines and become a gospel culture. I'll give my life to that, and I'm asking you to do the same. Let's pray. Oh God, may we not be the type of church that we read about today in James chapter 4. A church that is filled with bitterness, infighting. A church that is filled with people promoting themselves, demanding to get their way, wanting to be seen, wanting to be acknowledged, wanting to be seen as wise. God, may Gospel Community Church not be a church with a toxic church culture. But Lord, let us be a church filled with a gospel culture, a church that not only proclaims gospel doctrines, but lives out among one another a gospel culture. Make that so, Lord. If that happens here, Lord, if, if we can develop and continue to develop that here at Gospel Community Church, it will be a work of your spirit. And so, Lord, send your spirit now to do that in us and do that among us. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.